You're listening to The Sill Podcast with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Rewinding to October of 2018, we re-release a slightly revised podcast of an episode you might have missed. Episode 66, The Hippo and the Oxpecker, Repairing the Synapses of Community. It really boils down to this, that all life is interrelated. We are all caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied into a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one destiny affects all indirectly. Once upon a time, there was a hippo and the oxpecker. Are you familiar with the hippo and the oxpecker, Harry? Absolutely am, yes. It's really summed up in one word, that fairy tale. It's symbiosis. Why? Because the oxpecker eats the parasites that live on the back of the hippo, and the hippo, in return, protects the bird through its massive bulk and its being uh, very scary for other creatures. Mm-hmm. So there's a symbiotic relationship. They are connected in a certain way through that codependent and friendly, so to speak, relationship. So what we're talking about today on the podcast is community, really, is connection and continuity. And repairing those synapses. Yeah, in some ways are broken in different mm-hmm. ways, and mm-hmm. we can talk about how they've been broken. To start with, since we're in nature with hippos and oxpeckers, I want to stay with nature and talk about, Mm. briefly, a level of connection which is extraordinary in nature. We know that nature is connected in very many ways and interrelated. We talk about ecosystems, blah, blah, blah. Universal law. Yeah. But not a lot of people know that the largest living organism on the planet is about 3.8 kilometers wide. Mm. Isn't it something? And it's located in the Blue Mountains region of Oregon. (laughs) The colloquial name for it is the humongous fungus. Humongous fungus. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. It is fun. And what it is, is a network of mycelial fibers in the soil, beneath the surface, that are spread 3.8 kilometers and connect into the vegetative life of that entire area to allow plants to actually communicate with each other. So, for example, a plant that is being attacked by a fungus can send chemicals down into the mycelial network, which then reaches over to the other plants in the vicinity and Mm -hmm. warns them, so to speak, Mm -hmm. that there's a toxic fungus in the area and to protect themselves in some fashion. And they can also bring the resources to bear on that specific region. Yeah. Like a fiber optic network. It's like our internet connections. Yeah. In fact, Paul Stamets, who is a world-recognized mycologist, says that this mycelial root system is Earth's natural internet. It's Mm. kind of the echo of the technological internet that we've created. It's already there in nature and has been there for millions of years. Perfectly designed and perfectly functional. And at the same time, foreign to the planet in some ways, because there is speculation that before a certain time in history, there were no mushrooms on this planet, no fungi, Mm -hmm. and that spores from outer space, and spores are one of the few things that can withstand the rigors of outer space, fell on this planet, and this network was created. So Interesting. It's almost alien-like. Yeah. It seems some people are speculating that it's kind of alien consciousness Mm -hmm. brought to the planet and that we can learn from that consciousness and we have to explore it more deeply. In some ways, connecting us back to the universe. 
Yeah, and to maybe where our roots are. There's a quote here by Kamal Ravikant from a book called Live Your Truth. And he says, I promise you that the same stuff galaxies are made of, you are. The same energy that swings planets around stars makes electrons dance in your heart. It is in you, outside you. You are it. It is beautiful. Trust in this, and you and your life will be grand. Mm, So yeah, yeah, yeah. um, this sense that we are already connected. You don't have to connect. We are already connected. And we have to just realize the nature of our connection with nature and the universe. Yeah, we're a constant cause and effect on one another. Mm -hmm. Oh, sure. All of it. Communities cannot exist other than through connection. And one of the primary things that underpins our connection to each other is the fact that we are storytellers. Mm -hmm. Our lives are stories gathered together, if you think about it. Yes. And so a community is nothing but a series of stories that are related and are similar. Shared. And shared, where people find common ground through the stories that they bring to the community, which is why communities that are older and more uh, rural Mm -hmm. tend to push away change and new immigration, so to speak, too quickly, because new stories are coming in that are not necessarily in sync with those Mm -hmm. old stories. And so there's resistance there. But a community has to evolve and absorb the new stories and make them into their own. And that in itself has a kind of interesting parallel in the sense that you're talking about a society that's homogeneous. And now we're living in a time where migration is one of the biggest issues on the planet. Right. And we're having Mm -hmm. to adjust are thinking on that. Yeah. Uh, and of course, this has caused this great polarity in our yeah. society. Well, our identity is deeply rooted in the community that we identify with, mm-hmm. whether it's racial or ethnic community, or whether it's our political community mm-hmm. or religious community. And anyone from outside those communities that comes in poses a threat not just to the community, but to my identity within it. Mm-hmm. So this whole idea of Connectivity has its positive sides, but it also has its negative sides. People pushing away novelty and change and diversity. Well, that's interesting, too, because that takes us right into technology, doesn't it? That is one of the big challenges. One of the things we talked about was the constant barrage of updating software and Mm -hmm. mobile devices and our computers. Boy, it's annoying. It's annoying stuff. This is why they're trying to do it automatically. As you probably notice on your iPhone, for example, more and more things are happening behind the scene. You still have the ability to stop it if you wish, but they usually go on the default that it will be done, and then you can stop it if you like. Mm-hmm. So there is this continuity that companies that push it understand, and that is that people themselves are almost being habituated to having all that done automatically. Mm -hmm. But that in itself is not the big problem. The big problem is that different systems Mm. do not speak to each other very well. You're talking about operating systems. Right. Uh, iOS versus Android versus... Exactly. uh, Yeah, there is that uh, push that many companies had, primarily for profit reasons. Companies don't want to relinquish control of their systems Mm -hmm. because they have rights to them. And they have patents and so on. Frustrating for us, but for them, that's the reason. But this is why a lot of open source technology is ongoing. And And what does open source mean? Open source means where you really 
open it up to all the developers, all people out there who want to contribute to its improvement, to its use. So for example, way back in 1998, the first big example of open source was the end of Netscape and the development of Firefox, Mozilla Firefox. The end of Netscape and the beginnings of Firefox? Yes, because Netscape had the original coding for the web browser. Okay. And then they open sourced it. People took the open source and developed Firefox, which faltered for many years and they had to fine tune it. But that was because people were now, you and I, if we were interested in this technology, we could contribute, we could participate through open source. And the beauty of it is, is that The person dealing with this does not have to deal with individual responses. All this information and change is assimilated into a central bank and adjustments are made. Right now, did Safari do the same thing as as Mozilla? Well, Safari and iOS, for example, they formulated a proprietary system from an open source system called it iOS. So they borrow from the communal pot... They and can. then they create their own little thingy thing and say, this is ours and nobody else can have uh, any access to it because it's a moneymaker for us. I don't know all the specifics. I'm giving you a very broad kind of definition of the things that go on. But open source now is being used by all the big companies, Google, Facebook, even Microsoft, who was probably the biggest resistor mm-hmm. when it's open source. You don't control it as an individual company or individual. Right. But the other thing is there was also a fear of viral infections, of uh, losing some control. Uh, Uh So there's a whole other aspect to it. So, oh, I see. So you could even claim security as an issue. That's part of the justification or the argument even way back in the 90s. In the world of art, Creative Commons is a kind of a pool of resources in the same way that open source is for technology. It's a pool of images, a pool of musical snippets that are copyright free that people can use. You as an artist, if you are the artist, the developer of the audio or the written word or whatever, as you said, images and so on, basically what you say is I'm giving you, the end user, permission. Yeah, to use it. To use it. With a simple where right. it's from and who produced it and so on. Yeah, and I've made use of Creative Commons in my recent book, Malware, where I've added mm-hmm. images from the net and quotes, etc., that are Creative Commons-based mm-hmm. to make my work more interesting. Yeah, and if you have a longer-term view, it actually works. But if you're a short-term thinker and greed's your motive, it's probably not the way to go. But if you think about it, if you provide me and eventually a 1,000 or 2,000 other people with that capability where you allow me access to your work. Yeah. In some ways, it'll come back to you because I myself am going to appreciate the fact that you're offering this to me and I will either recommend you to other people. Right. There's a natural connectivity Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to having those types of systems that is based on integrity and trust of us as a collective group. Right. Now, I think before we leave the technological side of things here, we should talk about the social media as a kind of forum for connectivity. Mm. Because on the surface, it's an ideal platform for people to connect to each other moment to moment across the planet. That's a huge thing. That's the idea. Yeah. Uh, At least that's how it was originally posed Mm -hmm. to the public. And in some ways, that's still how it's being used. But the, the negative side of that is individual isolation from local community. Mm-hmm. I may have Facebook friends all over the planet, but I might have 
no or one friend, zero or one friend right. in my neighborhood, for example. Yeah, there was a phrase I read verbatim is technical connectivity versus human disconnection. Yeah, there's a consonance and a dissonance built right. into that setup. And I think that's really important to look at. And there's been a whole slew of uh, studies done mm -hmm. showing that, for example, there's a social media addiction. There's online addiction that people can now uh, fall into. Mm -hmm. And it's being treated as an addiction, just as heroin is an addiction, mm. digital addiction, being recognized as a phenomenon now. So that's a major challenge, just as corporations have a major challenge in overcoming the natural kind of greed, if I can mm -hmm. use that term, that is there, or self-interest, yeah. that is there to allow for more connectivity across technologies and operating systems. The same thing in terms of human beings. We have to get over our own yes. self-interest yes. and comfort to reach out to the community and find what's needed for connectivity, which is empathy. Yes, and adopt a more collaborative versus competitive position. Box, box. So, what's your story? When I wanted to reframe the way we use information, the way we work together, I invented the World Wide Web. So, going back to 1989, I wrote a memo suggesting a global hypertext system. Nobody really did anything with it very much. But 18 months later, you know, this is how innovation happens. 18 months later, my boss said I could do it on, on the side as a sort of a play project. Kick the tires of a new computer we got. And so he gave me the time to code it up. So I basically roughed out what HTML should look like, hypertext protocol, HTTP, the idea of URLs. I wrote the code and put it out there. Everything I looked into, I had to connect to some new machine. I had to learn to run some new program. I would find the data, maybe the information I wanted in some new data format, and these were all incompatible. It was just very frustrating. It, the frustration was that there's all this unlocked potential. Box, box. The arts, what culture in general really does well and, and is their job in a way, yes. is to collaborate and bring people together from different disciplines. So you can take, for example, any major sort of art form, whether it's ballet or theater, mm -hmm. and in one performance, you've got acting, singing, costume design, set design, light design, you have technological input, you have writers. Mm -hmm. It's an incredible collaboration to create a ballet or a theater performance. Mm -hmm. But the arts do that naturally, even if they're kind of isolated at points in time as they're creating the basis of their work. They naturally reach out to collaborate, bringing people from different areas together to create the final. Sure. Art, by its very nature, is a more convivial yeah. kind of environment. Yeah, it's naturally collaborative. It's based also in stories, because mm -hmm. art is storytelling mm -hmm. in whatever format. And there's power in it. There's power in music, for example, to connect oh, people together absolutely. who don't speak the same language. Yeah. You know? Universally understood. Exactly. So connectivity and not division is probably the oldest human impulse. Right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's unfolded in many ways through diplomacy, trade, engineering of infrastructures, 
mm-hmm. that connect all of us. And we talked about a little earlier about the whole industrial complex in terms of the way societies view work. Sure. The Japanese model, which we talked about, there's a word they use. Oh, yeah. It starts with S-H. Shokunin. Mm. Which means? Shokunin, which means roughly mastery of a profession. Okay. And so they achieve that mastery across their society in the workforce through sort of a cooperative sense of community? It's in their culture, very high on their list is pride and care in their work mm-hmm. and their craftsmanship in whatever they do. It doesn't matter what profession they're in. To them, it's very, very important that each individual do the best that he or she can do in right. whatever endeavor they undertake. And that mentality goes right into the corporate world. So they're not preoccupied with just profits. There's a quality Mm -hmm. to their work that is a must in adhering to their roots. And the average worker is also much more invested in the success of the company they work for. Exactly. Which is one of the reasons why in the 70s and 80s, let's use just the example of uh, the auto industry. They revolutionized the auto industry. Mm -hmm. And that's the mentality behind it. But it also creates a level of connectivity of individual to employer to the manufacturing production of an end product or service. Right. In North America, for example, you may have that ability, but that's not where the push is. The corporate push leans more. It's changing now, I think, in some ways, but it's having a Mm profit-motivated workforce. It's just as important to appreciate what they do and the quality that they bring to something, not just the end product and the money that it makes. Let's go to a more personal level now and talk about connectivity. Okay. And the most obvious example is relationship between a man and a woman, man Mm. and a man, whatever, Mm -hmm. couples. Good one. Let's say. And to talk about Love as something. Love is this connecting force, this mysterious thing that people talk about. Many splendored thing. Yeah, love is a many, <laughs> love is a many splendored thing. Yeah. And it binds people together for lifetimes mm. often. Mm-hmm. Lately, not so much lifetimes, so since lifetime. 50% of, of marriages are end in divorce in the West these well, days. Well, that's because a lifetime is so much longer too, yeah? Well, but there's another reason, right. you see. As much as there's a connectivity mm. in relationships like that... The material of that connectivity could be a chain Mm -hmm. or it could be a bungee cord. Yeah. And the difference is night and day. The chain binds people together but doesn't let them flex and move apart and live their lives in their own unique ways Mm -hmm. as they're trotting the path together. Right. But a bungee cord allows you to swing out and experiment and do that and then come, mm-hmm. get pulled back in and sw- the other partner to swing out and try something on their own. Much more fluid. As for, yeah, fluidity and mm-hmm. acceptance yeah. and a sense of seeing that our lives are indeed separate things, even though we're together. And interestingly, that correlates to what we just talked about, even with industry and business. It's that concept of ownership. Yeah, Right. Do we own everything or do we share things? Yeah. Is my relationship with you based on you doing exactly what I want or want you to do or the expectations mm-hmm. that are bound within that relationship? Or are you free to express and then for me to accept or not accept what you're doing? Exactly. And in 95% of relationships, if one party steps out on a limb mm-hmm. and decides to explore something quite different in terms of where their life has been, 
well, maybe I'm going to become a herder of yaks in Tibet. Yeah. And I have to go to Tibet for a year to learn yeah. the art yeah. of yak herding. Yeah. Well, do you think my spouse is going to be thrilled about that? There's going to be a real problem in terms of maintaining that relationship if I decide that that is really what I need to do in my life. Yeah, yeah. Okay. There could be a problem. Uh, on the other hand, there could also be kind of an eye-opener for both people. It really depends on the dynamics and the relationship that exists. Yeah. But I would agree with you that most people would probably have a difficult time. <laughs> but again, it's how you view it. If you don't view it on the basis of what are you going to do for me, Yeah. And what do you need to bring to the table if you change that thinking a little bit and say, maybe this can work for both of us or who knows? I mean, Absolutely. I, I mean, I could go to Tibet and become a stand-up comedian and go to Yak Yaks. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you could go to Yak Yaks. I could. <laughs> you know, nobody understands what word you're saying, but uh, yeah, that's right. No, but that's a good one, the one on relationships, Harry. That's a very good one. Yeah. Yeah. And the relationship part, I think it's really kind of an extension of everything else because relationships are also being changed by the dynamics of industry, by the dynamics of the economy. Yeah, The economy sure. and the technology is also affecting relationships. Oh, sure. And maybe one part of the one person in the relationship has to drive two hours to work mm -hmm. every day and back and doesn't see their spouse until later at night. Mm -hmm. And the other person works in a totally different area because of the way the economy works. We're traveling to distant realms often to work. Yeah, and that's a whole other issue too is the decentralization of everything. That's causing a lot of changes even in the workplace because the so-called 25, 30-year manufacturing jobs are pretty much gone by the way of the dodo. Flexibility, geographical boundaries are no longer a factor. You can work from literally anywhere where you're connected or you have a communication source. That's right. And connectivity of any kind depends on continuity as well. Yes. And what you just said is that there's less and less continuity over time. Mm -hmm. Things are shifting so quickly that there is no continuity anymore in jobs. Not in, in the way that we defined it in the past. That's right. I still think you need a level of continuity. It's just a different type of continuity. Now you really need the continuity of collaboration. You really need the continuity of staying connected in other ways. So for example, the connection of communication, internet, all of that is much more critical than it was before. Yeah. And Julia Cameron, the author says, we must log on somewhere and if it is only in cyberspace, that is still far better than nowhere at all. Mm. Which is a scary thought, unfortunately. Scary thought, but again, <laughs> it's the attitude and approach. You can approach it from a very fear-based yeah. kind of thinking or embrace the change and then work towards making things better. You may or may not succeed, but the mm -hmm. point is that you go into it with an open approach versus I'll never do this and the old days are gone and... It'll never be the same. No, it won't be. But it doesn't mean it has to be negative. Yeah, I think more and more, whatever connectivity we do have in our society, in our community, in our relationships, mm -hmm. has to start moving more and more from chains to bungee cords. Yes. And to allow for that flexibility, because as the external changes... The internal has to shift and grow and accommodate in different ways, yes. right? And that requires flexibility and empathy and forgiveness for mistakes because there are many mm -hmm. when that happens, etc. The same things that have to be kind of embraced by our political leadership. Uh-huh. Well, don't get me started on our political no, leadership. Uh, you know, we talked about this before. <laughs> There's got to be a different approach. Polarity does not work. 
Yeah, and I've talked about that there ought to be a law that stopped incoming governments from overnight dismantling programs that have taken 12, the 16 previous administration. Year, yeah, years to create and tons of our tax money to put together. Yes. And that thing come in and just rip it apart overnight. Yeah. There needs to be a transitional. So continuity is an abruptly stop there. At least there's a transitional period. Because mm-hmm. a lot of these things really tear at the fabric of the connectivity in our society. They tear at trust. Yeah. Once people feel uncomfortable, like, for example, I know many people that base their entire investment strategies or the way they're going to conduct their lives, be it vacations, be it uh, type of spending, uh, they wait for Mm -hmm. a change in government. They shift their things in accordance to what's happening. Yeah. We kind of perpetuate the very thing we're trying to solve by not breaking that cycle. Mm -hmm. The stock market, for example, which is so volatile in its own way, the continuity there is its volatility. That's the one thing you know about the stock market is that it's going to be volatile. Also, two very different worlds, depending on where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. For the average Joe, which represents a very small part of the stock market, almost a non-entity, but for the people that are heavily involved, which is typically the more affluent and corporations and so on, again, it's creating that vicious circle. You're making decisions based on how much can I make. Right. Not how can I connect to the community in a positive way. How can I input? How can I do my investments so that everybody wins? Right, exactly. As opposed to just me and my company. So for people to have an ongoing awareness that they are part of a web, of a network, of a world, not just local, but global, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. This whole thing about climate change is predicated on the idea that people are aware that we are a global network in terms of the ecosystems that we are busily destroying, that that's important to keep in mind. Just a little side note here. Let's talk about that climate change for a second. All this scientific data and people, pundits on both sides of the fence, arguing this now. How much do you have to understand? Yeah, exactly. Um, You're pumping out... uh, fumes out of your tailpipe. Doesn't it make sense that if we're all doing this, that it's probably not going to be good? Yeah. Do you require proof, some scientific proof? The only reason why we go to those lengths are because of the factions or the governing parties or companies who look at it strictly as an economic balance. Yeah. I once asked someone who said, uh, ah, climate change, the arguments aren't there for it. I said, well, what would be the determining factor, how much would be enough? Mm. What has to happen for you to go, oh, I guess climate change is real. I mean, does the sun have to fall into the Atlantic Ocean (laughs) for you to go, oh, okay, I guess it's real now. Like, where Mm -hmm. is that point where you're going to start recognizing it? And that's a communal thought. I mean, we are not together on that. And consequently, people are at odds with each other. There's polarization, not just at that level, but at all kinds of levels now in society. As you described earlier in this podcast, we are all part of the same. Right. We have to become like the humongous fungus. (laughs) And And with a name like that, (laughs) how can you possibly go wrong? (laughs) We are the world. We are the people. So let's actually test that out and just see whether it really works and not be so afraid to reach out, have empathy, have compassion, allow for diverse 
thoughts to mm-hmm. enter into our sacrosanct communities. Yeah, and if you don't agree with us, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this Before subject. we chop your head yeah, off. <laughs> yeah. We really would genuinely love to hear from you and uh, your thoughts on yeah. uh, anything we discuss the, here. The SIL community. We want to hear from you. Send us your thoughts, your rants, whatever. Emails, voicemail. You go to the SILPodcast.com and you can do it all. Exactly. And let's work together. Ciao, Harry. Ciao, ciao. The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. Thank you for your donation to the Sill Podcast.